0: It's go time. Previously on Third Down Gamble. It might come down to who's got the best agent. Getting your foot in the door in a lot of these NFL clubs is going to be tough. And you've got to come in and make an impact right away. If you've got somebody advocating for you with a good highlight reel of what you can do, you might make it.
1: Welcome back, everyone. It's been a month since Pat and I have been together on the podcast, and joining us, he managed to sneak into the room, it's Snack Bites Pete. Heath, how you doing?
0: I'm doing great, Don. Good to see you guys. I haven't seen both of you for a while.
1: Yeah, it's uh, been pretty good to have you help out when you can, and uh, certainly Pat has been going crazy getting uh, his job underway in the fall, so... Uh, not so crazy for me other than finishing up the garden lots of canning lots of uh, jelly jam and all that sort of fun stuff
2: yep and on top of it uh, we've been busy not only are we doing school lots of things going on in school as I'm sure you know but uh, we've decided to do a renovation so this weekend we were pulling carpets from two rooms and painted uh, two rooms and lots of fun you <laughs> <laughs> thankfully we only have to do that every now and then
1: that's true That's true. Although you think that with a house, but renovations never cease. You're right. Getting back to the topic at hand, football. I want to chat with you guys and get some takes on, first and foremost, uh, the whole opt-out and uh, signings down in the States of CFL players. Anybody that jumps out at you, I'll start with you, Pat.
2: I was interested to see a couple of quarterbacks go out, and some have been successful. Someone like Strebler, Um, you know, a lot of media on how he uh, has done down in the States. They're using him as their second quarterback rather than their third quarterback, which is a bit of a surprise for me, but uh, I'm glad to see him there and doing well.
1: Yeah, and Heath, of course, you're a huge Bombers fan. What does that mean to you to see strevler do well? <laughs>
0: it's been really interesting because... You know, it's not like he was an elite quarterback in the CFL. Um, He certainly brought a different skill set to the team, um, a running first kind of guy, and it looks like that's the plan in Arizona. In his first game, he had one carry for three yards and a first down on a third and one, kind of a classic uh, CFL type quarterback sneak. I know in today's game, he took a couple of snaps. Um, One of them, he he faked and then uh, handed off on a reverse for a first down. So they're going to utilize him for those sorts of things. Is he ever going to be a number one guy in the NFL? I would be very surprised given what we've seen from him and his capabilities. Uh, but I, I know the fans in Winnipeg. I've seen a lot of people that have ordered Stravler jerseys with, for uh, Arizona and really watching his career very closely. We're all excited to see him go down there and succeed and hopefully run over some of those uh, American linebackers and, and DBs and bust a couple of long ones.
1: He has been kind of, I guess, the bright spot of the signings because he's been probably the most popular and also he's been the most grateful for his time in the CFL.
0: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of highlight packages they put together if he does uh, have a couple of touchdowns in the NFL. I know they were reaching out to the Winnipeg PR guys to get some feedback and some, some clips. Um, they threw in some of the Great Cup Parade highlights of him in his jean shorts and mink coat. Um, So I think, you know, if he brings some of that attitude down there, the fans are really going to embrace him. Um, And and, uh, hopefully he continues to do what he does best.
2: You bet. He's a a special character, isn't he? He's going to be a weapon down there. I think, you know, the running that he does, um, we saw it up here. I think he's just an outstanding runner and he'll put his head down and take the hard knocks and and do whatever it takes to help his team succeed. So it's good to see him succeed down there as well.
0: It might really give the uh, Cardinals some options too, like they can line them up at tight end in a couple of formations. Uh, you know, of course, the the Wildcat, which was all the rage in the NFL a few years ago, might kind of come back with somebody like him uh, taking snaps. He did play a couple of special teams um, plays as well on some some kick, uh, on some punts and that sort of thing. So a really versatile guy, like you said, great athlete, strong as an ox, and uh, just the type of guy that can Get you those short yardages and, and those kinds of plays when you need them.
1: And he's by far, I think, the biggest name that uh, most people identify with, although there have been a couple of other players that have uh, signed in the States. Now, the question is, in my mind, you sign, you come out of camp. Do you get roster time on the field or are you just sort of that extra body because they have expanded to 12 uh, are you just going to be sort of hanging around and hoping?
0: Yeah, I think it looks like there's a lot on practice rosters. Uh, Dakota Shepley's one. Uh, Moncrief is another one. Uh, a few guys that we know are very successful CFL players. Given what's going on this year with how long training camps were, how quickly they got things going, injuries are going to be a big part. I know there is some some pretty big injuries in the NFL this week already. Uh, so they might get a crack. One of the interesting articles I read actually was about uh, Liram Hiralahu. Uh He was released by the Rams, but he was their best kicker in camp. Um, and this kind of goes to what we've talked about before with name recognition uh, in the States. They, uh, the Rams kept um, Sam Sloman, who they picked up in the draft this last year. So even though was the was the way better, more accurate kicker, He's 30 years old, and they went with a 22-year-old that they, they snapped up from a college program.
1: Lyram, to me, never had the super strong leg. And I think, Pat, you and I had discussed that as well, is that he, he his accuracy is unquestioned, but could he hit from 50-plus?
2: You know, you get a game like today, Kansas City, um, their kicker hit two 58-yarders in the same game. I mean, he, sometimes they're going to call on that. When you get to overtime, you need to be able to nail that long yeah. field goal, and I, I don't think his leg was quite there.
0: Yeah, he hit two fifty-eight 58 58-yarders and a 53-yarder on the same play.
1: Yes, that's <laughs>
0: right. They had a, a timeout and a, and a penalty. It was amazing.
1: You know, it was interesting
0: after week one, uh, Lothar from the Riders tweeted out a video of himself kicking off the tee, but he was smoking 50-yarders down the middle. And uh, as Don and I discussed in the, uh, in the shorter episode there last week, kickers have a pretty short leash, especially early in the season. If a guy struggles out of the gate, some of these CFL kickers are are the ones I think more likely to get another look than some of the guys that are maybe down the list on on a practice roster.
1: If you're a kicker, you seem to get a better overall look because it's a very easy comparable. But when you look at linebackers and defensive backs, running backs, quarterbacks, you've got a lot more that you have to assess. Yeah, I think there's a few guys
0: that, you know, like I said, if, if injuries dictate, Winston Rose is on Cincinnati's practice squad, uh, Bagleton's on Green Bay's practice squad. There's a few guys that we know up here can do the job. Um, if given the chance down there, I mean, look at um, Chris Matthews in the Super Bowl a couple of years ago that kind of came out of nowhere as far as the, uh, the American TV broadcasters uh, knew of him. We all knew him up here as a guy that was a, a pretty – pretty long receiver, good hands, and uh, had one play gone the other way, he'd have been the Super Bowl MVP.
1: I think maybe the the biggest name in terms of last year's crop of players that came to the CFL, Nate Hawley, Sam Peters, has landed in Miami. Uh, I think he's he's the type of guy I think that would fit well in, in the NFL because he's got enough size and he's got enough quicks that he could, if he was moved back to the halfback position, he could probably handle it.
2: Yes, I, I think he absolutely could. Uh, I think what Heath said earlier, it's just a matter of getting the right opportunity and then if you have the opportunity, making the most of it because in the NFL, you're, you're probably only going to get one, potentially two opportunities. So if you step in, it's time to produce. And if you can do that, some of these CFL players may have an option down the road. I agree with what you said earlier, Heath. I think the injuries are going to be their ticket in. And even if they don't get onto the field, they're at least playing the game that they love and, being have. I, I guess, having the opportunity to do what they want to do. And we've spoken before about any CFL player has a limited opportunity uh, to play. You know, any athlete, let's not just CFL, NFL. Otherwise, they only have a short time that they're going to be at their prime. So I'm excited to see if some more of them may make the field.
1: The other thing that really came out of uh, week one in the NFL anyway was the fact that Although the first couple of games in the big game with Brady obviously did well in the ratings, overall the ratings seem to take a hit in Canada.
0: You know, I have kept an eye on the NFL. I haven't really watched games in detail over the first couple of weeks.
1: In my mind, it raises the question that if you don't have the local game sort of wetting the appetite, does that sort of inhibit you to follow the foreign game, the one in the NFL? Um,
0: you know, The interest is there, but it's not, it's not eating at me in this, in this need to watch it. Um, if the CFL season was going, we'd be really into that last few games and, and shuffling for those playoff spots and home field advantage and that sort of thing. So, you know, it, there could be something to it that uh, having CFL football on TV every week kind of gets the, the fire burning and by the time the NFL season starts up, you're ready to jump into
2: it. I have been watching some of the NFL, not a lot of it, but um, probably more so because I'm in a fantasy draft with a bunch of uh, my family members. So it's more so watching to see how my players are doing as opposed to actually watching the games. When I do actually watch the games, I mean, you hear all the crowd noise pumped in and, and yet at the same point you get the shots of the empty stands. And I just, there's something about that just doesn't quite sit right watching the game, right? There's some exciting games, there's some great plays, but it, you just, missed the crowd. And uh, that might be part of the reason why people are kind of turned off a little bit.
1: I think I have to echo that somewhat because the crowd noise seems to be the same din all the time. And then when something big happens, they just amplify that noise. There's there's no variety to it. There's no spontaneity to it. You can almost anticipate it. And I'm with you. I, I look at an empty stadium and I hear this noise and I'm just like intellectually, it just doesn't make sense to me I can't suspend my disbelief that much
2: it's somewhat intrusive for for the viewers isn't it I that certainly is my feel it's uh you know I've seen it in other sports as well they bump them in or even when they're putting the you know the fake fans in the background and uh I just I it doesn't engage me like it it did when we were all live and and people were in the stadium
0: I have to honestly say I haven't noticed as much in the NFL games that I have watched um the NHL was glaringly empty, um, and I, I didn't quite pick up. Like I said, I watched some of that uh, that Kansas City and Chargers game today, and the the noise in the background was kind of what I expected, and I didn't really pay attention to the the no fans, except maybe when they were lining up for that last uh, game-winning field goal in overtime, and there isn't a bunch of people jumping around in the end zone waving and and uh, trying to distract the kicker. Um, it might really work out well for kickers to not have that.
1: Maybe what they need is a fan at one end of the uh, end zone so they can blow the, the paper cutouts back and forth or something <laughs> like that. I don't know. But I think, I think ultimately the networks are going to learn how to use this audio and try to make it more applicable. It's it's their first run through with it. They don't exactly know how it's going to play out and what uh, is going to sound well and what isn't. They have certainly some expertise, but they still have to
2: grow with it. Absolutely, and uh, you know I think that this is an experiment that we're going through with all leagues, right? Uh, We're seeing it in college football as well, and uh, you know it's nice to see the game being played. But at the same point, I, I think. There, there's things that are missing and that excitement of the crowd and the ability of the crowd to impact the play is one of them for me.
0: Yeah, exactly. The, um, you know, a third down situation or a fourth down gamble and the, the crowd trying to throw the offense off. You're not going to get that. I, I know in all of the sports, as much as they say, they tune know the crowds. We've all been to games that have been incredibly loud and you've got to know that it pumps the players up either the, you know, whether you're the home team or the opposition, You get fired up when it crowd's into the game. If it's uh, an empty stadium and you can just hear the coaches on the sidelines and not thousands of people jumping up and down and and shouting and stomping and getting the building shaking, I don't know how you get as fired up for it.
2: I don't think you do get as fired up. And I think also not only are the players necessarily fired up, but I do think it may influence some of the decisions that the uh, referees may make in a game, particularly at those crucial moment, if you have 100,000 fans <laughs> cheering in one direction. Um, you know, we, we like to think that they're objective and they're going to be as objective as they can, but that you know ability to think of where you are in the response may impact a few minor plays and potentially big ones.
0: Yeah, I think you're going to get a more consistent um, officiating job. They are going to actually call it like they see it and not be prone to being influenced by the momentum by the noise of the crowd, um, you know we've we've all been to enough football games to know when a, a full house of fans think that that was pass interference on a play, and all of a sudden a late flag comes out because the 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 uh, official thinks well maybe I did miss something and they throw it. Um, you know it's going to be a lot more. What you actually see is what you call, and and uh, home field advantage is probably going to be a lot less than it is in a situation where you've got a full stadium of fans.
1: I think Belichick put it best when asked the question, what's it sound like out there? Have you had anything in your experience similar? And he said, practice. Remember, for proper physical distancing, if you're close enough to shake hands, you're too close. The recommended distance in CFL terms is two yards. Don't get a no yards penalty. Make sure you stay back at least two yards to maintain proper physical distancing.
0: Second down. Put on your thinking cap and play along with our CFL trivia. It's trivia time.
1: And welcome back to trivia time. Woohoo! Pat has some help this week. We are going to enlist Heath to help out. And I guess to be fair to Heath, I have to read out the rules. No use of the Google machine
2: and no wagering. Thanks for coming along. I'm looking forward to uh, being able to go through this together.
0: Well, as a longtime listener and first-time trivia participant, I'm often yelling answers at you, Pat. So I'll uh, I'll try to refrain from doing that this time.
1: (laughs) Sounds good. Here we go, Pat. I'll get you to start with your answer first. Uh, After winning the Grey Cup in 1966, how many would Saskatchewan lose before winning again In 1989, A, 1, B, 2, C, 4,
2: D, 5. So the question was, how many did they lose before they win again? Yes. I'm going to say A, 1.
1: Okay, and Heath, what do you think?
0: I'm going to guess B2.
1: Okay, so we have an A1 and a B2. I feel like I'm calling out bingo numbers. (laughs) And (laughs) the correct answer is C4. Wow. Which years? They lost in 67 and 69, 72 and 76.
2: I I was only thinking of 76. I knew that one. Tony Gabriel, who doesn't know that if you're a Ryder fan?
1: Hey, Tony Gabriel in 72 as well. And then the Ticats in 67 and Russ Jackson's final game in 69. Question two. Heath, I'll get you to answer first this time. The 1960s marked the only decade so far in the modern era that neither team from Alberta, A, won a Grey Cup, B, finished first place in the West, C. Defeated Winnipeg in the playoffs, or D. Defeated Saskatchewan in the playoffs?
0: Well, I know the Bombers had some pretty strong teams in that era with Kenny Klain at the helm, so I'm going to say C. Neither of them beat Winnipeg in the playoffs.
1: Okay, that's C from Heath, and Pat? I
2: had chosen C as well.
1: All right, so both of you have chosen C, and the correct answer is A, won a Grey Cup.
0: Okay, so they got they got one against Winnipeg.
1: Edmonton actually beat Winnipeg in 1960 to get to the Grey Cup. Come on, Heath. Oops.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know I know. there's some rust. It's been almost a month. Yeah, yeah. So That's it's true. just going to take a little bit of time. Okay, this one's a little bit more famous and I think you guys will get it. I'll start with you Pat first. Question 3, to what was Toronto head coach Leo Cahill referring when he gave his "act of god," quote? Was it A, Calgary's chances of winning the 71 Grey Cup? B, Hamilton's odds of finishing first in the East in 69? C, Ottawa's chances of winning the 1969 CFL East two-game total point playoff series or D, the rain that fell during the 71 Grey Cup?
2: I'm solely guessing, but I'm going to say C.
1: Okay, Pat picks C.
2: Heath?
0: I'm going to take D, the, the rain.
1: The monsoon that fell during the 71 Grey Cup? All right, so we have a C and a D, and the correct answer is C. Cahill was confident and prepared his team well for the first game in Toronto. They dominated the game, won 22-14, a score that could have easily been worse for the Rough Riders. After the game, Cahill was so confident, asked about his team's chances in the return match of the two-game total point. Against Ottawa, Cahill declared only an act of God could stop the Argonauts from appearing in the 1969 Grey Cup. Toronto lost
2: 32-3. Those things often come back to haunt you, don't they?
1: There are things that you just don't want to be quoted as saying, and that's one of them.
2: (laughs) As if any team needs extra motivation, but when the head coach of the other team says that, oof.
1: And you're staring at Russ Jackson and his success on the other side I don't think I'd ever be so confident as to say that but he was trying to motivate his own team and it just backfired so the Argos were not in the 69 Grey Cup final question and I believe it's Heath's turn to start this is a real piece of trivia CFL interlocking schedule was a hot debate between the two conferences in 1960. Up till 1960, there was no interlocking play. The breakthrough came when the Western Conference, A, allowed Eastern teams to play afternoon games in the West, B, relented on television revenues the East had been receiving, C, agreed to air travel to and from interlocking games, Or D, force the East to abandon exhibition games with American teams. This is to get the deal for interlocking done.
0: So I know there was games against U.S. teams after that year. I am going to say A, allow the East to play afternoon games in the
2: West.
1: Okay, and Pat?
2: I'm going to sound like I'm mimicking him because I truly have no idea. But honestly, I was thinking that that makes the most sense out of what I would know so that they have the opportunity to play closer to their time zones. I'm going A as well.
1: So you both pick A and the correct answer is... B. Relented on television revenues the East had been receiving. At league meetings during the 1960 Grey Cup week, Western teams dropped their insistence on sharing in the lucrative television rights payments received by the Big Four, the East, as a condition of accepting an interlocking schedule. It was agreed to begin a partially interlocking schedule in 1961, with travel costs to be offset by an across-the-board surcharge of 25 cents on the price of every ticket sold, every game, every seat. Wow,
2: the economic hardship.
1: 25 big ones, yes. <laughs> <laughs> See,
0: and I, I, I wouldn't have guessed that TV revenue would have been a big deal in 1960. So that's that, that kind of threw me.
2: That was lots of fun. Thanks for joining in, Heath. <laughs>
0: CFL players all wear a face mask for safety. With COVID-19 on our field, we also need to wear our masks to
1: keep everyone safe. Do your part. Be a team player. Third down. I think it's time maybe to go down a little bit of memory lane here and, uh, we've all come from different parts of the world and we all came to Canadian football a different way. And I'm kind of curious to find out how you got introduced, what got your interest up and that sort of beginnings story, I guess it was. Let's go with Heath first. What did you, what, where did, where did your love of the CFL start? Where did the love of football start?
0: Um, I would say 1984, Um, now I'm going to, I'm going to reveal how much younger I am than you guys. So, uh, thank you for that. Um, (laughs) I, I was, I would have been seven years old. Um, that was the year that, uh, Tommy Clements and Dieter Brock were traded for each other, uh, between Winnipeg and Hamilton. Um, there's also a little movie called Ghostbusters. That was a, a big hit in the cinemas that year. So I remember a TV ad, um, the first game that, uh, that Hamilton was going to be back in Winnipeg after the trade happened. And a bunch of the, the uh, Bomber defense were on this TV commercial singing Brockbusters to the tune of Ghostbusters. Um, yeah, 30 some odd years later, that has stuck with me. And of course, my fondest memory is the Bombers went on to defeat Hamilton 42-17 in the Grey Cup that year. Um, their first great cup since the 60s. So they had ended a long drought. Um, Just an amazing bunch of players on that team that year too. Hall of Famers. Uh, You got Walby, um, James Murphy, Willard Reeves had two touchdowns in that game. Their defense had James West and Tyrone Jones, uh, you know, Rod Hill, some amazing, amazing players on that team. And um, I hadn't, Honestly followed a lot of football before that, uh, but I remember the excitement in Manitoba when the Bombers won that great cup, and um, like I said, I I was in probably second grade, and I remember going to school on that Monday and and talking about the game and and how excited we all were that the Bombers won the cup.
1: Was there anyone in the household that was really a football fan, or did just that momentous season really get you going?
0: Um, not really. My dad played some football in high school. He was an offensive lineman, um, but he never really was much of a, a fan of watching sports. A very good friend of his who used to come over a lot of times on weekends um, was a big sports fan. He played baseball. I My job used to be to run up and down the stairs and report the Hockey Night in Canada scores for him. Um, so he kind of nurtured that that love of sports a little bit more than, than in my household. Um, so it was kind of a uh, his visiting and, and being involved in sports. And I just really kind of was attracted to all sports at, at a pretty early age. And the, the Grey Cup is what really got me going. Of course, the Bombers went on to win in 88 and 90, so I kind of felt like they were gonna win all the time. And then, as we all know, um, after 1990, it was a pretty long haul for Bomber fans. Um, but we finally, uh, finally got another one to celebrate here this last year.
2: Pat? You know, my, my first memory of watching the CFL was probably back in 76 where my uncle's watching the Grey Cup, and uh, that was a tough one to watch. I remember how excited people got about it, but but my household, we grew up with football. My dad uh, had played both Hilltops and Huskies and then went on to coach both Hilltops and Huskies. So, I mean, the TV was always on, but that's really what started to pique my interest when, when the riders were in a big game and everyone was so excited. So, again, at that time, I was eight years old. Um, but, but beyond that, I would say I really got into it when I was in grade six, seven, eight, listening on the radio, um, watching whenever I could on TV. And then we played that game that I've spoke about before the sports action, Canadian pro football. Uh, I had some buddies in the neighborhood, about six of us would play and we'd watch, you know, all the teams and see who's all in there. And, uh, it was, it was a lot of fun to be able to, you know, at that point y- you knew all of the offensive linemen you knew all of the defense and and you could talk about Mike Samples or Wozinski or Skorrud or Poli or Quinter and Ilbrin I mean they they were, they were all the big linemen the offensive side maybe not so much um you know we we had some good quarterbacks they would did fairly well under coach Feragelli in 81 and I remember riding that train and and hoping for playoffs but but as I became a Rider fan they were in a long drought and I remember when we finally made the playoffs in '88. Um, I think that may have been my second or third game that we actually went down to and froze at the game because it was cold. <laughs> Got a home playoff game, and uh, it was bitterly disappointing because I thought they had a great team that year. And then, uh, then in '89, their team didn't seem so good, but it just uh, everything aligned and they were had the opportunity to get down to the Grey Cup. And when they won it, I, I I remember crying. I was so excited. It was just uh, that was when I truly got salted into being a, a lifetime rider partner
1: so with your dad uh, was the TV always on CFL games or was it just the riders
2: and no it wasn't always on um you know dad being a coach was often gone in those days he didn't watch tape at home right so um, on weekends he was he was with the Hilltops or later with the Huskies uh, as a young man and when he got older I think he he'd probably had enough football so he didn't always have it on we turned it on for rider games on occasion but um, you know, I'd watched some NFL with dad. He tended to more watch some of the coaches, having been a coach. Uh he'd attended many of the coaches clinics and and, and uh I remember um he used to love Bud Grant. Bud Grant was one of the people he idolized as a coach and, and when Bud Grant went down to what to to Coach the vikings dad became a, a solid vikings fan and and i think because bud grant had actually stepped out of the way and, and talked to them as coaches at these coaches clinics and you know given them the opportunities to work with some of their coaches and so to me that was uh you know that it wasn't that it was always on it wasn't that dad was wearing green and white all the time because he didn't but he was definitely a football fan as a whole i remember watching plays and he would watch the line play He was a former offensive lineman himself and he coached line. So, um, that's what we would watch. And and dad would have me interested in watching the line play. Um, when I started playing football myself, I loved to be a receiver in in elementary school and into high school. I played high school football and had an opportunity to play either, um, slot back, some running back and, and return punts and kickoffs. So I played for Walter Murray and, and, uh, had some great coaches along the way. And, and some of the people who inspired me were some of the CFL players or former, at that point it was hilltop players and, and Husky players that, you know, get to know and watch. And I'd go to all the games there too. And so it was fun to try to pattern yourself after, you know, some of the players that you were working with, A Mantica as a receiver. I remember in particular, he was one that I would pattern after in the hilltops and see what he was doing and then I'd start watching Joey Walters of course was a favorite right? as he started playing and and see how he ran his routes and for me I became more interested in the the receivers and I'd actually watch the routes rather than the the play right? whenever I got the opportunity to sometimes you had to follow the play when it's on TV but when you could get in the stadium and and we'd sit up high intentionally so you could see the play develop and watch the receivers run their patterns and to me that was why I loved the game Heath, did you get a chance to play?
0: Uh, I didn't. We, um, we didn't have a, a high school football program when I was going through. Um, the, there were a few people that went to another town in our division to play on their team, um, but that was really the only we, – we played at you know um, throwing the ball around and that sort of thing a little bit, but uh, never really got an opportunity to play organized football, as it were. One of the interesting things, just to kind of tail into what, what Pat was saying – about specific players and watching. One of the things that I really enjoyed with the, the Bombers in those 80s and early 90s '90s was the kickers. Bob Cameron is an absolute legend in Winnipeg, which, you know, other than Louis Pasaglia, I don't know if there's a lot of other kickers or punters in the CFL that have that recognition and that, that fandom that Bob Cameron does. Um, I do remember Trevor Kennard came to our school um, I think I was probably in about grade eight and already towering over him. I got to meet him and get his autograph and that sort of thing as well. But, um, you know, the the uh, one bar face mask on those kickers, you got to kind of see the personality. As, as you know, Cameron was the punter in Winnipeg for 20 plus seasons, I believe. And uh, and one of the all-time greats. And it's, it's funny that, you know, a, a position as... Not to say insignificant, but but not as as flashy as a lot of the other um, the other players in a lot of positions. But uh, but Bob Cameron is still loved in Winnipeg um, by fans. He's he's stuck around in the city and, and does a lot of great things, and uh, is a real real legend of, of Bomber football.
2: He was incredible to watch. Um, and, and again, you know the long standing hunters in the league. You've got him and you've got Pasaglia who, you know, everyone knew exactly who they were. And you step on the field, you could recognize them. So that that's a rarity. You know, one other thing I remember, um, when I was working through high school, I worked at the Star Phoenix. And in in this is the days before you had internet. So the nice thing about working at the Star Phoenix and what really turned me on to the league, one, I played the game and I love the stats in playing the game, but being in the Star Phoenix when I was on breaks, I could go into the newsroom and I could pick up every newspaper from across Canada and look through what the writers were writing about, you know, the Ottawa team, the Montreal team. And it was for, for someone who loved the CFL to be able to do that. It was thrilling. I just could read everything. And, and, you know, now you can do that on the Internet. But at that point, you didn't have that opportunity. The blackout. Heath, did it reach as far as your farm?
0: Um <laughs> I kind of think it didn't. Um, We were about almost a two-hour drive from Winnipeg, I guess. So um, I think we got a lot of games because we were in that Western Manitoba TV region. Um, There was probably a cutoff somewhere around Port of the Prairie uh, that they would black out. So I did get the opportunity to see a lot of them on TV. Um, The ones that I didn't, um, CJOB Radio in Winnipeg, a little shout out to the hometown station, Bob Irving is the voice of the Bombers and has been for 40 plus years, and uh, just one of the best in the game. So um, even now, actually, uh, now that I'm in in Saskatchewan, sometimes I'll put a Bomber game on the on the radio or on the listen to it on my phone as opposed to watching it on TV, just so I can hear Knuckles call a game. Um, it's it's uh, nostalgic in a way, and uh, he has a, a way of of calling the games that just really brings me back to my roots of starting out as a CFL fan. Um, and it's a, a great way to, to spend a couple hours listening to a game.
1: Home dates, you unless you managed to drive the from where I was four hours <laughs> to get to a game, and I wasn't old enough to drive, uh, you had no choice but to catch the game on radio. And I remember uh, a lot of times... I'd be out on the field, we'd be in harvest, and I'd have a little transistor radio
2: with me, and that's how I would listen to the game. Yeah, I, I remember transistor radios, but if I'm not mistaken, you are up in the uh, northwest zone. You never drove up the Maidstone? Because I know as a, as a, in high school, when we couldn't get to the games and couldn't afford to, we actually drove up the Maidstone and would sometimes get a hotel room so that we could catch the Alberta TV where the blackout wasn't there. So um, I thought, Don, maybe you're, you were fairly close to there. Did you
1: ever do that? What I managed to do was convince my dad to get a second antenna and point it towards Lloyd Minster. And then we could, on good days, which were most of the time, get the Lloyd Minster feed, and they were not in the blackout. So that's when I finally started to to watch uh, Rough Rider home games. The, uh, the other thing that would happen, I don't know if you remember this, but the blackout games were often replayed the next Sunday morning and in our family church was fairly important (laughs) and somehow some way I don't know what kind of uh, forceful argument I presented I managed or talked my parents into allowing me to watch the replay on Sunday morning and they trusted me I was I don't know how old I was when this started, but, but of course, being on a farm, yeah, they knew what I was going to do. It was all good. So, and I really appreciated them doing that.
2: So when did you become a fan, Don?
1: I think it was the moment I realized that I lived in Saskatchewan and that was Saskatchewan was a team that played and that just convinced me, okay, I've got to watch the Canadian football league because that has my province, my t- my home, playing in it. There was no other league that I could find as a little kid. Baseball didn't have it. Hockey didn't have it. So I I remember, and boy, I'm dating myself, but I remember the 1969 Grey Cup, and Saskatchewan played Ottawa in that game, and that was the first time that I remember watching any CFL game. Now, it was black and white. We only had one television station, so if it was on the other network, we never would have seen it but that was my first memory and it's awesome with winnipeg of course it's the city name did that ever matter
0: you know it did i switched to nhl i actually grew up as an oilers fan you know in the in the heyday of, of Gretzky and messier and curry and the list goes on and on winnipeg wasn't a destination that we went to often it might as well have been the moon as a as a farm kid growing up in the 80s so it didn't really connect to me that it was in my province were that close, um, like I said, until I kind of got into that 84 Grey Cup games. Once I did, though, they were they were definitely my team and have been ever since. But yeah, you're right. It was, it, there was certainly a bit of a disconnect there being that it was the, the Winnipeg team and not the, not the Manitoba team. Interesting sidebar to that is I know a lot of people that live in the very western part of Manitoba that actually grew up as Rider fans. They're pretty much equidistant between Regina and Winnipeg. You know, it it would make more sense to go into Regina for some of those big city shopping trips and things like that. And, And that exposure to the riders through that, they have been lifelong, to my chagrin, lifelong rider fans.
1: Well, the one thing that Pat and I have in common is that we're both born and raised here. But you're a transplant to this province, Heath. And has there been any pangs or any pressure to say, hey, shed the blue and gold, you've got to be cheering for green and white?
0: Oh, the pressure, the outside pressure is amazing. I get it at work. I get it, you know, visiting friends. I always kind of told them, though, that, uh, well, especially when they were in the Grey Cup drought, I said the year that I stop cheering for the Bombers, they're going to turn around and win a Grey Cup, and I will feel awful. Uh, So, I, you know, I said I've lived through this many years. I can't give up on them now. Now that they've won a Great Cup again, it even has further cemented me as a fan. It's always, uh, I had a couple of people at work wagging me about why I don't, um, why I haven't switched allegiances to the riders. And I, I said to them, I'm like, so you're telling me that if you moved to Calgary, you'd become a Stampeder's fan? And, and, and the look on their face that I would actually question their allegiance to the riders. Got the wheels turning and they understood where I came from a bit more.
2: That's an excellent point because that's uh, that's not the case, you know. When when you go to Calgary as a Rider fan, it's a sea of red and green. <laughs> All our Saskatchewan transplants of the nineteen nineties—they're uh, still Rider fans and they bring their kids up, you know. And in many households, I think that's the tradition, right? Mom and dad cheer for the team, so the next generation also does. Because certainly that's what's happened in my household. We have two girls, and uh, you know, started taking them to Rider games as soon as we could, and uh, they've grown up to be strong rider riders,
1: And in our family, us boys, we all love the CFL, but we all seem to cheer for a different team. For whatever reason, I don't know.
0: I have managed to flip my 11-year-old nephew as well. He's born and raised in Saskatchewan, but both of his parents are transplants as well. So um, although they've kind of adopted the riders as their team, I think he's a bit of a non-conformist in the household. And he's the the youngest of three children. So to, he uh, needs to stand out and rebel, I guess, in, in his own way. So he's come on board with me in uh, in being a Bomber fan. So at least I had somebody to share in the celebration of the Great Cup last year.
2: Well, that's good. But I think that's sacrilegious to try to convert people to teams when they're not in the province heat. I, I don't know how you live with yourself. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, there was the, uh, the Buzz and Boomer mascot dolls that he got when he was a newborn. I, I, I planted the seed early. It just took uh, took eleven years to finally get them there, but but I got. Them. So, what about your first opportunity to go to a game? Do you guys remember the first game that you saw live, or anything about it, or uh, or kind of what age you were when that happened?
1: My very first time, I went because a couple of friends of mine from university they had enough of me talking football, so they said, "Let's go to a game." Then we went from the museum the year later. I worked at in North Battleford, the WDM Labor Day. I think it was Boyd caught about a hundred yard pass that day for Winnipeg, and they beat the Riders 18 to 10. And it wasn't until I got more established in Saskatoon that I, an hour and a half was cut off my drive, and I could actually get to more and more games. In 1987, I finally ponied up the dough and got my season tickets.
2: For me, it was uh, in in high school. I mean, as a, as a player, you love to watch the games and. Uh... I remember going to a few games. We went once as a team when we were playing, they called it the Pizza Bowl at that point, I guess an all-star game, and they they gave us some tickets and got a chance to watch. But uh, my friends and I, whenever we could, if someone could get a car because it was always having to borrow the car, and if parents needed it, but if someone could get a car on, on game day, and we could get down to Regina, we, we tried doing that when we were in grade 11 and 12, and you know, I, I can't say one game in particular stands out, but certainly, as you two spoke to last week, when when you get the opportunity to go and see the Labor Day game, that atmosphere hooked me big time to being in the stadium.
0: Yeah, for me, I think I was about 19 or 20. Um, I would have been Ninety-seven. It was the the season kickoff game was in Winnipeg that year. And it was it was on July first. It was a Canada Day celebration. Um, I was working north of Winnipeg, and my, uh, a couple of my coworkers were also diehard Bomber fans. And we drove down, and it was against Montreal. Uh, Dave Ritchie was the coach of the Alouettes, and Katie Williams had just gone to Montreal that year, formerly playing with Winnipeg, and we were right behind the Al's bench, and. Unfortunately for us, that was the Jeff Reinbold era. So you can imagine the outcome of the game didn't go our way. Um, <laughs> I remember Katie Williams turning around and taunting us in the stands, you know, us yelling back, and, and probably not our finest moment. What really stands out to me of, of the, those first few games I went to was it was also early in Milt Steagle's career. And I think 97 was the year that he averaged 26.4 yards per catch, which is just astounding stat so I got to see kind of the early days of him um, in an otherwise terrible couple of years uh, to start going to games that was somebody that really stood out and uh, glad I got to see that development to kind of go full circle I got to go to the game where he broke the all-time touchdown record as well so that's kind of the the, the start of, of getting to see him and then my you know last couple of years in Winnipeg before moving here got to see the the end of a very solid career
1: thank you for listening to our show third down gamble is
0: hosted on Podbean. third down gamble can be found on apple podcasts google podcasts and spotify follow us on twitter where our handle is at third
1: down gamble join us again next time the third down gamble
2: podcast audio worth watching
0: seven years, every Grey Cup moment has included you, the fan. This is your league, through fog and rain, in tragedy and triumph. You are the foundation of this league. Now take your place in history. Etch your name on the Grey Cup fan base. Become a part of the Grey Cup's legacy. Add your name and raise the cup.